Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. Do you ever feel like you're not enough or what you do just doesn't make a difference? Sometimes what seems insignificant can actually become an overflow. During this series, we will explore how to overflow in grace, generosity, and gratitude. When we live a life of overflow, our life becomes an inspiration to those around us. We skip the scarcity mindset and live a life to overflow into others. In this message, Pastor Andy McGowan teaches us how we can live a life in God's generosity. Enjoy the message. Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. Do you ever feel like you're not enough? Or that what you do doesn't make a difference? Sometimes what seems insignificant at first can actually become an overflow. During this series, we will explore how to overflow in grace, generosity, and gratitude. When we live a life of overflow, our life becomes an inspiration to those around us. We want to skip the scarcity mindset and live life to overflow into others. In this message, Jono Navarro teaches us how we can live a life of God's grace. Enjoy the message. You know, a while back, I shared a, uh, I shared a story how I almost messed up my honeymoon uh, by buying the wrong plane ticket to the wrong destination. And uh, it was a crazy story, uh, but my wife and I ended up, we made it. We got to Costa Rica and everything was good. Um, and we ended up doing a bunch of fun stuff there. We went horseback riding uh, through uh, the Costa Rican rainforest. We went zip lining through the Costa Rican rainforest. Uh, we, we made a day trip off of, uh, off of the resort that we were staying at to go to uh, Jaco, the, the place that we were staying just outside of. Um, but one of the things we made sure to do was to go down to the private beach uh, that this resort had. Now, the thing with this is that the resort was on the side of a mountain, and so you had to make a uh, particular day uh, trip to go down there. So you had to get a shuttle ride. It was like a 15-minute shuttle ride down to the private beach. And so, uh, you know, Megan and I were like, okay, let's do this. And so being from Kenosha, uh, we know how to have a great day at the beach. So we packed our bags. We had towels and, uh, you know, extra water bottles, snacks. We had board games. I mean, we had sunscreen. Everything was packed and ready to go to have a great day at the beach. And so we get to the front office, and the shuttle ride that, that, that pulls up is like a small white Toyota pickup truck. Like it wasn't a van, it wasn't a, a, a bus, like I was thinking something like, you know, more than that. But, and so we're like, okay, let's, let's pile in. So we pile into the back of this pickup truck. And it's so awkward because Megan and I have all of our stuff in our laps. I mean, it's so small. We're, we're, we're heading down the, you know, down the, the mountain. There's like three other couples packed into this pickup truck. Our elbows are in people's faces. Our knees are like the awkward, like your knees touching. And it was just so awkward. And we get down. Uh, as we're driving down to the, to the beach, we notice that no one else, none of the other couples had bags. Just Megan and I were like, what are these guys, noobs? They've never been to a beach. And, uh, and so we're, we're going down there. And we get out of the pickup truck. And we approach the, the, the private beach. And the wait staff of the resort approaches us. They have towels and refreshments. They escort us to our own private bungalow. And there's, uh, you know, they hand us menus for a restaurant and bar. And uh, it was just absolutely nuts. And it was, it was in that moment that Megan and I had zero idea how to do this thing. We had absolutely no clue 
how to do this thing. And it was crazy because we should have known. I mean, even when we got there earlier that week at like 2 a.m., we, we, you know, we get up, they, they have peach teas for us, cooling towels. I even had like a, a, a mishap where, uh, you know, there was a, a, like, like a hiccup in my reservation. So I'm in the, it was like 2 in the morning, I'm in the front office, and I'm like, I can't show you my QR code. Can I use your front office computer? I mean, and the guy turned his screen around. I'm literally in the front office at 2.30, like, let me look up this QR code. Real quick. I mean, it was so crazy. Like, and we should have known. And, and here's, the, here's the question today is that how often are we clueless to the overwhelming grace of God even in our own lives? And maybe, maybe we're oblivious, maybe we just don't know, maybe we don't understand the fullness of the gospel, but there is an overwhelming grace brought to us by God because of what Jesus has done and we have complete access to it. But here's the thing, maybe for some of you this morning, the hang up with you in receiving the gospel is that you've been attempting to carry religion. You've been, you, you look like Megan and I with all this stuff in your lap and it's piled up and you're attempting to, 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 to do this thing all on your own, right? And it comes out in so many different ways of, 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 how, of what you say and, and how you dress and how often you attend church and, and how much you give and whether or not you, you, you pray before a meal, you know, I know sometimes, like, you forget to pray. It's like gravel in your mouth. You're like, uh, I'm a sinner. Like, you just, you forget all of these things, right? And, and I always preface this because those things are good. You know, how we speak to one another is good. And, and, and you know, and, and, and being part of fellowship here is good. But the, 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 the big question is this. Are those things the primary metric by which you determine whether or not God will be gracious to you? And if they are, we are skewing the gospel. Dallas Willard said that grace is not opposed to effort, but it is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is action. Right? All of these things are good things, but the gospel is free. And, and maybe others of you this morning, are, you just find yourself, you're stuck in the routine of Christianity. Like, for some of you, you've been in church for so long that Moses attended your city group. I mean, I'm sorry, uh, growth group, right? Like, like, you remember when we sang, blessed be your name on the overhead projectors. You've been, you've been around here for a long time. But the thing is, is while you may know all of the answers and, all, and you're so f- familiar with all of the verses, somewhere along the way, you lost the wonder of God moving in your life and extending that same kind of grace, that same kind of wonder to those around you. But maybe there's someone here who's not in either of those categories, and his grace seems too good to be true. I remember in high school, I signed up for a, uh, a raffle, and it was at like this local credit unit. It was to win an iPad. And uh, I didn't even make an account with the bank. I just signed up. And days later, I get a phone call saying I won the iPad. And I told the lady, like, uh, take me off your phone list. This is a scam. Like, I, I just had, like, she was like, no, you, you, don't you remember you signed up for this thing, right? But, but maybe for some reason for you, you just think God's grace is too good to be true. It's a scam. Like, maybe you feel like you've done too much or your sin is too great. You're too far gone. And all of those thoughts flood your mind of, of if you only knew what I've done, if you, uh, if, if you only knew what, what, I, what my past is, you would not forgive me. 
And no matter the category that you find yourself sitting in this morning, there is good news because of the gospel of grace. And the gospel is this, is that we now have favor with God, and God was the one who supplied it. Is that we now have unmerited favor with God because of what Jesus has done on the cross. That we don't have to earn grace, we don't have to buy grace, we don't have to uh, feel like we have to distance ourselves enough from God uh, before asking for grace. There is just now an overflowing stream of grace because of Jesus. And whether you've been in the church for 30 years or whether you're here for the first time in a long time, because of the gospel of grace, the supply line has now been opened, and we now have the freedom to dive in. In fact, there's, there's a scene in the book of John where John the Baptist is baptizing anyone who would make a step towards God. And it's, it's, a, it's a dramatic scene. It's a crazy scene because there are people who are gathering that are religious and there are people who are gathering who are non-religious and they're coming to hear what John has to say. And it says in, in John chapter 1, he says, John testified concerning him and exclaimed, this is the one of whom I have said, the one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. He's talking about Jesus. He's the son, son of God. He says, indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. There are two things that, that I want to I take note here. First is, is the, the Greek implication of the phrasing uh, found in, in verse 16. He says, we have all received grace upon grace. Right, this, this phrasing literally means to overflow. John specifically says grace that flows and then flows some more. There's an overflowing grace. Megan and I have a, a, have a friend who, who was doing some work on her dishwasher, and she didn't realize or like maybe she forgot that you had to turn off the, the valve leading to the dishwasher. And, and when she uninstalled her dishwasher, I mean, water came gushing out. I mean, it was literally filling her house, going down the, the hall to her basement. And, and it was crazy because she said she was in a panic and she didn't know what to do. She didn't know where to turn it off. And, and so she did the only thing she thought she could do was call the fire department. And so she's literally outside with her kids outside waiting for the fire department to come and turn off the water. And it's just gushing through her house. It's crazy. But that's the thing. The kind of gospel that John was preaching isn't a grace that would merely trickle down from God's throne. Right? It wasn't a gospel that would, that would kind of be enough to flip the bill for your sin. The kind of grace that John was preaching was a gospel that would be more than enough. A gospel that would literally fill the house. You know, when Jesus died for our sins and rose again, he opened up the valve of God's grace. And God decided not to shut off the valve. And because of that, his grace extends into any area of our lives without hindrance. There's no area in your life where God's grace cannot move to. One, one commentator says, he writes that his grace is continuous. 
Like it, it's never exhausted. It knows no interruption. There, there is no limit to God's grace. But the second thing that I want to point out is that there is a reality. There's a reality that without Christ, we are profoundly lost and desperately sinful. In verse 17, it says that the law came from Moses, but grace and truth from Jesus Christ. You know, I think there is an element of truth that without the law of God, without the, the, uh, the, the law of God, we wouldn't fully grasp the depths of how much we desperately need God's grace. Right? It's because of the law of God that the Ten Commandments, uh, we, we would, uh, because of those things, it reveals to us that we are sinful, that we do miss the mark. Right? We do steal, we do lust, we do murder, we live under par of the standards of God. Romans 7, 7 says, what should we say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. But I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. For example, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, do not covet. And see, while the law of God does not save us, Right, while while it, it does not keep, uh, while it does not remove our sinful nature, it does, however, reveal to us that we do have a sin nature. Right, the law of God is a mirror that reveals to us that we have dirt. There are things that we do that are in our past. You know, we're like the Godfathers; we have dirt and lots of it. You know, a, a few months ago, I, I took a, a work trip to California, and so. I'm flying on Southwest Airlines, and I don't typically stare at people's computers, right? Nobody likes the guy that looks over your shoulder while you're on the computer. And uh, I'm sitting uh, on the airline, and, and we're flying, and, uh, and I'm watching this elderly woman watch the Dahmer story on, on Netflix. And, and I, like, I, I hate to admit it, but my eyes were, like, glued to her screen. And after, like, 10 seconds, I don't know, 12 seconds, she, she notices me, and she looks over, and she's flustered, and she's, like, you know, pulling down her laptop and, like, doing all of this. And I'm like, lady, you're watching the Dahmer story on a flight. Like, everybody can see. And she was so embarrassed. It was, it was, it was a little amusing. Um, but here's the thing is, while we may be able to compare our sin to one another, right, while we may be able to, to see the stark contrast between Jeffrey Dahmer and Grandma, the reality is, is that we are all sinful. We all have fallen short. We all have a past. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that Jeffrey Dahmer is pleasant to hang out with. Right? His, our sin has variants of degrees of consequences, and, and there are actual pain and hurt and sorrow that come through our sin. But the reality is, is that if it were not for the grace of God, we could all very well go to the depths of sin we never thought we would go to. Because the truth about sin is this. Sin will lead you to do things you never thought you would do, and go to places you never thought you would go. And it doesn't matter who you are, where you are, what you do, the grace of God is abundantly 
and readily available. God's grace is available for you today. And it doesn't matter what you came in with. It doesn't matter what is uh, filling your mind, your heart. God is giving you an option, a way out. His grace is overflowing. So what does that mean for us? If God's grace is pouring out for humanity, what does that mean for us? Well, my main point today is that we have absolute access to God's grace. God's grace is 100% available to us. There's no ifs, there's no ands, there's no buts. We have absolute access to God's grace. And it's not a maybe, it's not a feeling, uh, or while supplies last, we know how that is. Uh, But because of the finished work of the cross, we now have complete access to God's grace. You can be forgiven. Colossians 2 says, he erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was, that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and disgraced them publicly. I love that. He disgraced them publicly. It was out in the open when he did this. And he triumphed over them in him. See, Jesus pulled out all of the stops. Jesus erased every excuse as to why we can't gain access to his grace and he did it legally. There is a legality aspect to our, uh, to our faith and our forgiveness that sometimes we often forget. And, and we live in a world and a culture where we, we go off of all of our feelings. If it feels right, then it is right. If it feels good, then maybe it is good. If it feels like it's going to happen, it's going to happen. But, there, but sometimes what we need is just a, a hard, solid stance that this is a for sure thing. And, being, and, and having access to God's grace is not, is not based off of anything fickle. It's actually legally before God a true statement. You know, Megan and I uh, recently bought a house, and, and there are a few things that I honestly didn't realize going into the, uh, the housing market. Was One was how fast you could make an offer and, like, get the whole ball rolling. I was like, uh, wait, what? We're already signing the, you know, the deal here. <laughs> like, it was really fast. I mean, just hours before, I was just like a realtor app hobbyist. That's what I would do, you know. Uh, and uh, uh, I, just, I just didn't know. We were first-time buyers. But the second thing that, that took me off guard uh, was how much negotiation actually goes into buying a house. I mean, I, I didn't realize that once you make an offer, once you get the, you know, it accepted, you start this, this thing called the contingency process, right? And, and so you begin to haggle over how the, the deal is going to happen, right? How is this transaction actually going to take place? And so you say, well, if you fix this, then I'll buy. Or, and they're like, no, 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 we won't do that. We can do this, this, and this. And you're like, okay, maybe. And so you begin to do this whole haggling process, um, you know, to to buy the house. And I, I didn't realize, I felt like I was on Shark Tank or something. Like, are you going to accept? I'm like, uh, I don't know. There's uh, just a lot of negotiation that goes on. But here's the thing. When Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, he signed the dotted line. The contingency was met and we no longer need to haggle over salvation. Right, And some of you and some of us fall into that like cyclical rut of like the negotiation process for our sin. Right, we, we begin to restart this whole process over God's grace as if it's never been done. 
right? We, we, we go over all the terms and conditions. Well, God, maybe if I do this, then I, for sure you'll forgive me. Or, or, or you know, you, you start to go in your head about uh, yourself and, and the devil and what you've done, what you haven't done. And you, and you start to, to, uh, to debate whether or not you can approach God. When Hebrews 4 says, therefore, let us, let us boldly go to the throne of God so that we may receive mercy and find grace Jesus did everything for us, and all we have to do is step in. And for some of you, you're thinking, well, how else am I going to be forgiven? How else will I receive the grace from God? I know for me, there is oftentimes that you haggle over your, in, in your head about whether or not God will, will take you back or whether, you know, you're, you're walking on eggshells when you come into church. I know for me it was like, okay, maybe if I just, like, kind of distance myself just enough. And, and I love what C.S. Lewis said. He said there's no amount of time that could ever erase sin. There's no amount of distance or time that could ever uh, cover up what we did. But Jesus took the certificate of debt and all of the obligations that, 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 would, that would bring on our God's wrath on us, and he paid for it, and he took it on himself. Every finite detail of our life, of our sin, of our past, God was a step ahead, and he paid for it. So if God's grace is abundantly available, how, how should it affect us? Well, firstly, we can rest assured that when we place our faith and trust in Christ, we are solidified in grace. That what Jesus did was an actual guaranteed thing. John 19 says, after this, when, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished, that the, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I'm thirsty. And a jar full of sour wine was sitting there. And so they, they fixed a sponge full of sour wine on hyssop, and they held it up to his mouth. This is Jesus on the cross. And he says, when he had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. The, the word finished in Greek doesn't quite translate as well into English because in English, the word finish, just, it just sounds like something we finished, like you watch Netflix series, and so you move on to the next, or you drink a cup of coffee, and so you, you know, kind of just throw it out, or you go back and make yourself another cup of coffee, because that's what we do, uh, um, you know, uh, but, but, but the word in Greek actually implies a perfect tense, meaning this, that the event that happened in the past was completed in the past, but the effects are still ongoing today. So all of the effects that happened on the cross, they're still rippling through to the present day. It's like if you were to finish remodeling your house, and so you start all the work, you, you take the cabinets out, you put new cabinets in, or you, you replace the, the backsplash, or you, you add a patio in the backyard. All of the work that you finish in your house from the remodel, it's not like it just disappears. It's that you actually continue to live in the blessing of the work that had been done. And so all of the blessings that happened on the cross are still in action today. They are still available today. So when Jesus cried out, it is finished, he meant it was finished and it's going to continue on. 
And so by leaning, learning to lean into his, into the finished work of the cross, we are steadied in our faith in him. And you, you may still ask this morning, well, how do I know for sure a hundred percent? How do I know a hundred percent for sure God forgave me? Right? And I think that's a valid question because maybe you're thinking, well, I wasn't actually there. I didn't, I didn't actually see Jesus die on, on the crucifixion. And that's totally, perfectly valid. And there are historical facts that prove that Jesus was a real person. And there are, there are historical facts that, that he actually died on the cross. But maybe, maybe that it's not enough for you. And there's an element of faith that should kick in when we believe in the gospel, obviously. But there's more to that. There's, there's, there's something more. And it took a while for me to realize this when it came to our, uh, when, when it came to our faith. You know, when I proposed to Megan, and it goes down as one of the best days of my life. It, it was cute, and it was fun, and of course, it was very meaningful. And uh, uh, however, uh, when any man proposes, when, there's, when there, any guy proposes, is, it, it is highly significant. Because here's the thing about proposing. It's more than a tradition passed on. Right? It's more than just something that's been passed on for centuries, and it's, and it's more than just a routine that we kind of go through, and we don't know really why it's there. But there's two very important dynamics at play when you propose. Firstly, when you propose, you are essentially promising uh, that woman or, or, you know, that, yeah, your woman, <laughs> her, that one day, one day soon, she will have a completely different life than the one that she's living now. Her life will soon be and look very different. So what the man is essentially proposing is his life. Everything that he is, all that he has, it will completely be hers. The second thing, the second thing that, that, that happens when a guy proposes is that he's actually serious about her, right? Because he doesn't propose over like nachos and Mountain Dew. Like, like, like no one does that. I mean, maybe some guys do that. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry if that was you. Um, <laughs> but the guy is serious when he proposes, right? He plans the day. He, he thinks about what he's going to say. He actually, he might take a shower. I mean, there, there's a lot of things that the guy does when he proposes. <laughs> but there's something that he does when he does propose. When he gives the proposal, he gets down on one knee and he pulls out this bright, shiny ring as a down payment for his promise. Signifying that the day is in fact coming when everything will change. Here is my proposal, now here is my promise, and now here is this very shiny ring you get to show all your friends. But look, God did the same exact thing. When you believe in Jesus, when you put your faith and trust in him, it's not just this empty promise, but you actually receive a down payment that your life starting today will be changed. In Ephesians 1, it says, in him you also were sealed with the promise, Holy Spirit, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession, that's you, to the praise of his glory. When you placed your faith and trust in Christ, not only did you receive the forgiveness of your sins, 
right, the proposal, but you received God's spirit. God gave you his spirit. So when we are in the presence of God during worship, when you experience God in, in, in the midst of someone uh, through the gifts of the spirit, when you have uh, uh, overwhelming grace or joy or peace brought to you by the Holy Spirit, it is the down payment at work for your redemption. That you have actually been forgiven. And while we struggle to rest in God's grace and in his mercy, God is two steps ahead, and he's already promising and giving more than you think. Secondly, secondly, we ought to reflect his grace, right? When God has given us his grace, we ought to do the same. You know, one of the greatest marriage advices, bar none, that I've ever been told, and, and you know, when, when you get married, they... they there's like the bridal shower and they do all these cute little card things and you can write all these different devices. And there was, there was only one that really struck out to me and, uh, or st stuck out to me. And it was, and uh, it, it wasn't like husbands wash the dishes after your wife cooks. Like you should do that. That's a thing you should do. Or husbands surprise your wife with flowers or Starbucks randomly. Like those are big ticket items. You should do that. Um, <laughs> but if you want to know the secret sauce Right? The glue that holds relationships together more than anything else. Right? It's not flowers. It's not Starbucks. It's not summer moon. The thing that actually holds relationships together, and it's so simple. Forgive often. Forgive. And here's the thing. It's not just great marriage advice. It's great relational advice, whether you have, you know, coworkers or your friends or your siblings or, you know, you're driving into church and someone cuts you off and you get really mad and you pull in and they pull in next to you awkwardly, right? Forgive. Forgiveness. That's never happened to me. Um, forgive. Right? Forgiveness is the best practice. And you may ask, well, because we all do, how often should I forgive? Right? How many times am I going to forgive the same person over and over and over again? And this is, what, this is what it says in Matthew. Then Peter approached him and asked, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As, men, as many as seven times? And it's kind of funny because it's kind of tongue-in-cheek because in the Jewish culture, to, to, uh, the number seven was actually uh, a number that signified completion. So, like, if I'm going to completely forgive this person, is it only seven times, Jesus? Because I can do seven times, and after that, you're done. You cut me off six weeks in a row, you got one more chance. That's it. And, and I love <laughs> Jesus' response, right? His response is, I tell you, not as many as seven, but 70 times seven. Like, Jesus just, like, Peter's here, and Jesus is like, nope, whoop, up here. If you're going to do this whole forgiveness thing, if you're going to forgive, if you're going to step into the gospel and receive God's grace, you might as well go all the way in because really there isn't an end to forgiveness. If you want to know how, how uh, the whole kingdom of God works, if you want to know how this whole thing keeps running, Jesus continues on with Peter. He says this is how this operates. He said, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. The kingdom of heaven can be compared to this. A king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And, and when he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. 
I don't know how much that is in American, in American dollars, but it sounds like a lot. I'm just going to say that. And he, uh, he brought him before, and he says, since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded him that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had to be sold to pay the debt. At this, the, the servant fell down before him and said, be patient with me. I will, I will pay you everything. And then the master of the servant had compassion and released him, and he forgave him the loan. And the, the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he grabbed them and he started to choke him and he said, pay what you owe. At this, his, his fellow servant fell down and, and began begging, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went out and threw him into prison until he could pay back what was owed. And when the other ser servant saw that he had taken uh, what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. And then after that, he summoned him and, and his master said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured. And he, uh, until he could pay everything that was owed, so also my heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. See, while we think that no one sees, no one realizes that we hardly forgive, they do. The kingdom of God at its roots is that God forgave us a debt we could not repay back. God forgave us, and we shouldn't be surprised that one of the most profound ways to stay tethered to the gospel is to forgive often, because when we forgive it, it is a first-hand reflection of the gospel at play in your heart. Forgiveness is the heartbeat of the gospel. Forgiveness is the direct action of the gospel at work. It is the primary result of God's love being poured out for humanity. And though we didn't deserve it, though we couldn't restore it, though we couldn't pay, back, uh, pay God back for it, he still forgave us. And we ought to do the same. My third point today is that God has given gifts to give. God has given us gifts to give. You know, just the other week, um, I took my oldest daughter, we, her, her and I, we went down to the park, and instead of walking to the park, we, we rode in her motorized Jeep. I mean, the thing is so cool. It's like, uh, you know, she, she gets in there, she opens the little door, and I have the remote controller, like, so I'm driving, and it has three speeds. If you, get, if you go downhill fast enough and you pump the brakes, it'll actually drift. I mean, the thing is so cool. Um, I'm looking at my wife. Uh, I, the thing is, it's absolutely so cool. And so, like, it, it, it's a little over the top because when we, when we get to the park, right, it's like, okay, I'm rolling up to the swings. She's so, it even has Bluetooth. Like, it's so awesome. You can play music. And, and so when we, we get to the park, and all of the heads start to turn as she's rolling through to the swings. I mean, she's just the coolest kid. And, and, of course, they all start sprinting and surrounding the little Jeep. And, you know, all, of the, all the boys are like, ah! And the, the moms are screaming, honey, uh, you know, it's not ours. Don't touch it. You know, you can look or you have to ask before, you know, getting into it. And, and I turn towards my daughter and I ask, you don't need to. But, 
because this Jeep is yours, but would you like to share? And she stops, and she's thinking. I can see the, you know, the gears turning, and she goes, yeah, yeah, I'll share. And so it was like one of the most, like, proud dad moments where it's like, wow, you know, my kid wants to share. Mom is really good. <laughs> like, she's really good at this thing. And, uh, <laughs> right, and, and it's those principles that we instill in our children that are admirable, they're desirable. We want those things to take place. But the same is true for everyone else. God has given us gifts to be generous with. In fact, when Jesus died and rose again, not only did he forgive us, but he poured out uh, uh, gifts. He dished out gifts along with forgiving us of our sins. In Ephesians 4, it says, Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took captives captive. And he gave gifts to people. But what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with stature measured by Christ's fullness. Now, that was a lot, but, but God died, rose again, and gave gifts. As an attendee of church, as someone who, who comes to church, you don't have to be on the outskirts of church. You don't have to be on the fringes of what God is doing. In fact, you're given gifts so that you can be in the middle of whatever it is that God is doing. And you may be thinking to yourself, well, maybe I'm just, I'm simply too young. I, I, I don't have enough faith or I, I can't quite step out or someone else is doing that gift a whole lot better than I think I could ever do that. And here's the thing. It's not a comparison game. When God has given you a gift, it's not a, a comparison game or a job a role that you just absolutely have to fill, like you're working at Amazon or something. It's not a, a status thing. But the point is, is that God had a plan that a part of the gospel, a part of receiving forgiveness, is that you're actually able to, to participate in the gospel. You're able to actually equip those, uh, uh, you know, other people, the saints, those who don't know Christ, those who do, to, to, uh, to, to dive deeper into whatever it is that God is doing. And, and this verse isn't the, you know, exhaustive be-all end to, to the gifts. There's other verses throughout the Bible that show us other gifts like generosity, mercy. There's um, um, the gift of faith. But there's two things that I want to point out when it comes to this. One is that, obviously, the, uh, the verse 12 says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. The word ministry originally just means simply to be a waiter, right? You're, you're the middleman in between somebody who, who doesn't know God and, and bringing them, bridging the gap so that they can know God. That's all it is, is God has given us the ability to participate in somebody else receiving the gospel, right? And whether that means that you're equipping the other saints to minister or that you are ministering directly to somebody who, do, who doesn't know God. It's, it's part of the gift. But also when you practice your gift, when you step out in faith, 
with the gift that God has given you, you are building up the church until we reach unity in the faith. And I, and I love that because your gift is meant to strengthen our church. You know, I, I mentioned before that um, Megan and I are first-time home buyers, and so with that, I'm like scrolling through YouTube videos and, you know, these different reels and shorts of DIYs of, of uh, you know, how to do updates on the house. And, and I stumbled across a DIY to finish your basement. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is going to be good. I'm already planning this. And so I, I'm watching the video, and the guy starts out, well, you know, you got to make sure things are level. You got to have the right tools. You can use cheap tools. You can use expensive tools. But, you know, you want to make sure everything is nice and flat. And then, you know, you want to start framing out your, your, your downstairs. And then he gets to the part where you start to frame out your door. And he, he makes it worthwhile to mention that when you frame out your door, you, typically you have two pieces of wood. And these, these pieces of wood have a natural bend to them. So one might bend this way and one might bend that way. And so if you were to put those pieces of wood together where they're bending the same way, well, you're going to have problems opening and closing your door. But, but he says if you want to have a straighter, more solid steady door frame, what you want to do is actually put those pieces of, of board together so that they're pressing against each other. And I'm like, wow. He's like, when you do that over time, instead of pressing out so you can't open your door, it'll press together and it'll stay straight. I'm like, wow, that's actually pretty nice, you know, that's pretty nice hack. But the thing is, is that while every one of us may have a natural different bend you might have a different gift you might have a, a different way of serving in the body of Christ when you participate together when you strengthen one another when you use your gift you're actually making a straighter stronger church we need everyone to to use their gift as God has given them and and for some of you you might think well I don't have a big IG account. I, I don't know how to do this thing. I don't, I don't know how to step out. And, and, and it might just mean stepping out in faith. That maybe it's joining a city group or hosting a city group or ho jumping on the host team or the worship team. Put to practice whatever it is that God has gifted you with. And some of you, that might just mean organically opening your house to, to, to pray with others or to serve others or to, to have dinners at your place. And there are some of you that might be undermining your gift. Well, you might think, well, hospitality, is that really a big gift or generosity? All of these things, not one of us are outside of like, hey, this is the best gift and the only gift that's, you know, the super saint of all gifts. We need each other to strengthen each other. And it only happens when all of us are working together. God has graciously and abundantly poured out grace in so many ways that if you're here this morning and you feel like, God, I just need forgiveness, like my sins are too heavy, they're too weighty, God, I just, I need you to, to forgive me. Whether you're here today and you just feel like, man, God, I just, I want to be used more. Well, God has that covered too. God has poured out his grace. Or maybe some of you are like, I just, I'm having a hard time with somebody else. I need to forgive. And so the takeaways this, this morning are, is firstly, just reflect on where you might be attempting to earn 
God's grace? What area of your life are you attempting to kind of like, and you, it may not be a, like an obvious thing, but it may be just some thoughts that pass through your head that, that when you mess up, man, I just, I just kind of have to wait a little bit before praying. Man, I just have to like kind of hold back before actually worshiping God. When in fact, all you have to do is, God, forgive me. And step into his grace. Secondly, where, where might God be leading you to live out forgiveness? And I, and I say where because is it at your house? Is it at your workplace? Is it, you know, is it at your sports team or high school? Where is it? I know like at work sometimes it's like I got to use a lot of grace and a lot of forgiveness. Where is God asking you? Because you probably know already, like, I have a hard time with this person. Where is that place? And thirdly is how might God be leading you to give? Stepping out, I think stepping out in faith to, to put to practice your gift is one of the most exciting things in the kingdom of God. Because it's in those moments where you feel like I don't have enough to give, but God shows up somehow. And your faith will be strengthened when you do that. At this time, we're going we're gonna to bow our heads. And uh, if there's anyone here that, who wants to step, make the next step towards God. Maybe you're here and you, you've never heard the gospel or you want to step out in the gospel. We're just going to lead you through a prayer and, and you can say that. And make the next step. And, and when you do that, just reach out. Reach out to our, um, you know, our host team out, out in the foyer or, you know, find uh, one of the pastors, Pastor Will or Andy. God, we thank you so much this morning. We thank you that you have overwhelmingly poured out your grace. That your forgiveness, your kindness, your goodness, God, is so available to us and God we just we just pray that you would forgive us of our sin God the, all of the things that we've said or we've done God all of the the history God we just pray that you would cover that because of what you've done on the cross and God we make the next step to move into faith and trust in you completely we thank you for what you've done in Jesus name Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.